0: This brings me to the legend of Hui Ning. Now, Hui Ning is considered uh, one of the most revered monks in the Zen tradition. Uh, in fact, when I was training in Zen, uh, we read and studied Hui Ning more than we studied the Buddha's writings. He's that revered in the Zen tradition. Uh, he takes precedence, usually over the Buddha himself. Now. Uh, this is the story of the underdog, which I personally love. Who doesn't love to root for the underdog, right? So, uh, so it's one of my favorite stories. That's why I'm telling. <laughs> so, Huaining, he's born a young, uh, actually poverty-stricken, uh, illiterate farm boy um, in the southern part of China. And at a very early age, his father passes away. And he's an only son. He's left to take care of his aging and elderly mother who's rather ill a lot of the time. She's quite sickly. Uh, And so at a very early age, Hui Ning, probably an early teen, he gets a job uh, chopping wood in the forest in the evenings and selling that wood in the mornings and afternoons uh, at the marketplace to support him and his mother. Now, Buddhism was actually uh, growing at a very fast rate in China at this time, 5th century, 6th century, 7th century AD. Uh, The government was Buddhist and they were putting a lot of money into uh, building temples and monasteries. So Buddhism was really enjoying uh, a heightened popularity, if you will, in uh, China. So one morning, Huaining is wheeling his wood uh, into the marketplace and there's a monk Uh, sitting cross-legged at the doors, chanting uh, what's known as the Diamond Sutra, like that. And Wei Ning hears the words of the Diamond Sutra, and he attains an enlightenment. He awakens immediately. He realizes his Buddha nature, as the text says. And so, this stuns him. He doesn't really know what has happened. So he's kind of weeping, and he falls to the knees at this monk's feet, and he says, please, please, sir, tell me, what is this that you're chanting? And the monk says, this is known as the Diamond Sutra. I received this teaching from the fifth patriarch of Zen in northern China. He has a home monastery there. And so Hui Ning now is very excited. This monk is alive, he has a, the possibility of, to study with his master, and he's you know, really uh, enthusiastic about this. So he goes into the market, he sells his wood, he goes home that evening, and arranges for the neighbors to take care of his mother, and he heads north the next morning. Now, that would have been about a two-week journey on foot or horseback up to the northern part of China where the fifth patriarch's home monastery was. And a little bit of background on the monastic situation in China at that time. Uh, it would have been a privilege for a young person to go to a Zen monastery in China at the 6th century AD. Uh, it would have been something like uh, going to Yale or Harvard or MIT or Oxford. Uh, a young person in China would have been groomed for the privilege of studying at such an esteemed institution, particularly the institution where the fifth patriarch himself uh, was teaching. Uh, at this time in Zen, there was only ever one master and one lead student who became the master. And, that, and then he would hand the patriarchy over to the next one, like that. So there was only one master in China at the time, like that. So it was very, very much like the Dalai Lama is right now. There's just one, like that. So a very prestigious uh, place to be in his training center. So here comes Hui Ning, two weeks on the road, muddy, disheveled can't read or write, has never studied Buddhism at all. So really, <laughs> a fish out of water, right? And he knocks on this monastery door. And luckily, for everyone who likes Zen, <laughs> the fifth patriarch himself answered the door. And so he answers the door and he looks when he says, looks at him very strange. What are you doing here? Who are you? you know. And Hui Ning says, well, my name is Huaining. Ning. I'm from the southern part of China. I'm here to become a Buddha. <laughs> so really uh, eager, you know, doesn't pull any punches. He jumps right in. I'm here to be a Buddha, you know. And uh, the fifth patriarch, his name was hung Xiu, he kind of scoffs at Hui Ning. Southern boys have no Buddha nature. You have no business here. Get lost. And he begins to close the door on them. Now, Huay puts his foot in the door and he holds the door open and he says, Now, you can discriminate between North and South, literate and illiterate, wealthy and poor, but Buddha Nature knows none of these things, like that, which really impressed the Patriarch. Wow, Huay knows, he has some understanding. So he opens the door and he welcomes him in, but he knows that the other monks and nuns at this training center, they're not going to like this at all. You know, here's this poor farm boy taking a position in this training center that these other students have been groomed and raised to, to be in. So the fifth patriarch hides him in the kitchen and he gives him a job pounding rice, where he worked for two years pound, pounding rice every day in the kitchen. But every third day or so, Hung Shu would send for Huaining in the middle of the night and bring him to his quarters, and would spend few hours in the middle of the night teaching him uh, the teachings of the Buddha, or teaching him meditation, things like that. Uh, so uh, Hui was quickly learning. So about two years go by. Now the fifth patriarch is getting up in his age, and he starts looking for a successor. Oop, I missed that slide. Go to the next one. <laughs> so. Uh, he's looking for a successor, uh, and so he assigns the assembly, he says, "Assembly, write me a poem illustrating your understanding of enlightenment. The person who gives me the most accurate poem will become the next patriarch of Zen." Now there was probably close to 200 students there. But all of them said, you know what, we're not even going to try, because we know that the principal disciple, whose name was Shen Jiu, uh, is going to become the next patriarch. He's already been teaching a lot of the students. He's really been groomed for the position. He's the head disciple. He will be the, the next, obviously. So nobody really takes the poem seriously except for Shen Jiu, who goes to his room and he meditates for a few days on this assignment, And then he comes up with this poem here on the slide. The body is like the Bodhi tree. The mind is like the mirror bright. Take heed to always keep it clean and let no dust alight. So that was uh, Shen poem describing awakening. Now the fifth patriarch, and so he, he actually wrote that on the wall of the uh, going to the meditation room. He wrote it on the wall in the hallway, in paint, uh, to make kind of a statement, I suppose. So the fifth patriarch comes out of his quarters and he sees this written on the wall, like that. And he's, that's pretty good, but it doesn't really quite describe awakening, he says. But it's really good meditation instructions. And I'm gonna unpack that in a minute. but. He decides that it doesn't really get at awakening, but it's good to meditate on. If you meditate on that and learn it, uh, you might have an awakening experience. So he assigns all of the monks and nuns in the monastery to memorize it and to meditate on it. And then he takes Shengzhu aside and he says, That's pretty good. Why don't you try again? Like that. So it's an ongoing assignment now. So that night, uh, Hui Ning is coming from the kitchen and he hears a monk chanting this poem over and over again. Hui Ning's thinks, well, I've not heard this before. That's something different. So he asks the novice monk, he says, what, what is this? Where did you get this? And so the monk d- tells Hui Ning about the assignment and how we're supposed to write this poem. And so Hui Ning asks the monk to recite it to him several times. So Hui Ning can memorize it. Keep in mind he can't read or write, so so he asks him to recite it several times, so he memorizes it. Once he has it in his mind, he goes back to his own room and he meditates all night with his poem and he comes up with his own poem. And uh, being a one-upmanshipster, he wrote it right next or he he uh, dictated it to another monk to be written right next to the poem that Shen Zhu wrote. And here's Hui Ning's poem. Basically, there is no Bodhi tree, nor a stand of mirror bright, since all is void, where can the dust alight? Beautiful. So really, uh, a clear illustration of emptiness, of awakening that if we can really let go uh, the dust, which is our preferences, our prejudices, our opinions, our discriminations, that has nowhere to land. like that. So keeping that emptiness quality. So that all of a, all of that can arise and pass like that, and so here are the poems side by side, so you can kind of compare. Uh, the body is like the bodhi tree, and Wainay clearly coming a comeback, right? Basically, there is no bodhi tree, right? So letting go of attachment to the body, letting go of attachment to the mind. The mind is like the mirror bright. So letting all that go, uh, and then all is void. So where can the dust alight? So there's no need to try to keep the mind clean if you just let it go like that. And there's no place for the dust to settle. Beautiful poetry and clear illustration of, of Hui Ning's understanding of awakening. Now, uh, uh, the fifth patriarch comes out of his quarters and he sees both the poems and he knows. <coughs> of course, Hui Ning must have done that. Being a youngster and, and full of that youngster spirit, you know. Uh, so he sends to have Wei Ning brought to his quarters that night. And he gives him some more testing, of course. There's a few hours actually go with uh, some rigorous testing and meditation and things like that. Uh, but finally, uh, the fifth patriarch says, Wei Ning, you're going to receive the bowl and the robe. And he folds the, the robe up and he puts the bowl on top and he hands it to him. like that and says, you will be the next patriarch of Zen. Like that. Now, of course, this is really going to cause a disturbance. <laughs> so here's this, again, young, poor farm boy uh, that has never studied formally ever with anyone as far as anyone knows, uh, and, uh, and he's just uh, bypassed the whole system and really uh, taking this great honor uh, without any training that anybody knows of. And so the fifth patriarch knows this, and he says, Come, let's f- get you out of here. And they sneak him out the back door, and they take him down the forest to a river. And he puts him in a riverboat. And he says, Go south, back to where you came from. Find a cave. Go into the cave. And some of the text says, the patriarch says, Meditate for three years, others say twelve years. So, yeah, it depends on which text you read. So somewhere between 3 and 12 years, go and meditate until your understanding of the practices of the teachings deepen, and then you'll be ready to teach, like that. So Huening heads south on this riverboat, like that. Now, as the Patriarch had foreseen, this does cause a huge disturbance in the monastery. And when the monks and nuns find out, they all take a foot um, scrounging through the forest looking for Hui Ning, really combing the forest, trying to find him. But of course, he's long gone, so they all come back frustrated, empty-handed, except for one, whose name was Monk Ming. And Monk Ming had been a general before he became a monk, and because of his military background, he had tracking skills, and was able to track Hui Ning to this cave. It took him two weeks, to find Hui Ning on, uh, in this cave. Uh, but he finally does find him. The only picture I could find of anybody meditating against the cave wall was me. So, <laughs> so there you go. That's, what, that's maybe what Hui might have looked like. <laughs> Except for the H&M shirt, but, but anyway. <laughs> so, Monk Ming shows up two weeks uh, of tracking, finds Hui Ning meditating against the cave wall. And it's said that monk Ming draws his sword in a fierce movement, uh, filled with anger and rage and righteousness. You can imagine two weeks of patiently tracking this person, uh, knowing that he has done wrong. From monk Ming's point of view, uh, Hui Ning is a thief and a liar. And so monk Ming is really angry and filled with self-righteousness. And he draws his sword and he says, I've come to take what you've stolen. I've come to take what's not yours. I've come to take back the bowl and the robe." And Hui Ning stands up calmly, and he folds the robe, and he puts the bowl on top, and he places it on a rock. And he says, "'Our teacher gave, gave me this out of his own volition. I won't fight you for it. You can have it, it's yours.'" And now that greatly puzzled Monk Ming, because he was expecting, well, at least an argument if not a fight. He already had his sword drawn. And so he sheaths his sword. And now uh, the the um, conflict arises in his heart, said. And Huaining, um, could see the conflict on Monk Ming's face. And so uh, Monk Ming goes to pick up the bowl and the robe, and he couldn't move it. He couldn't move it off the rock. And now, some of the texts say he couldn't move it because Hui Ning was employing some sort of psychic capabilities to make the bowl and the robe so heavy. But the text that I prefer is that the guilt in Monk Ming's heart was so heavy that he couldn't move the bowl and the robe. He felt so conflicted that the bowl and the robe, he couldn't lift it. And so he fell to his knees, Monk Ming. And he says, actually... I'm not here for the bowl and the rope. He quickly changes his story. It's like, actually, I didn't come for the bowl and the rope. I came to receive your teachings. Won't you please be my teacher, he says to Hui Ning. And Hui Ning, modest young man, he says, no, no. Our teacher is the fifth patriarch. Go return back to your teacher and continue your studies with him. My work is in this cave, like that. Uh, and so, and then he says to Monk Ming, he says, now, think neither good nor evil. Show me your original face. Like that. So, so again, Hui Ning, sensing the inner conflict in Monk Ming. Think neither good nor evil. Think neither bad nor good. Think beyond judgments. Show me who you are. Like that. Beautiful, beautiful. And that actually becomes... Uh, 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 like a koan or a riddle that we meditate on in the Zen monasteries all o- across the world. Uh, Show me who you were before your parents were born. It's another way that's taught. Uh, or, um, yeah, think neither high or low. Show me your face. Like that. And so it becomes so much a part of Hway teachings that as he gets older, he creates what's known as harmonizing the 36 pairs of opposites, which is a whole philosophy in itself. He painstakingly uh, pens out uh, all of the opposites that you can possibly experience in, in three different categories. I won't go through all of this tonight. It's, that's a whole uh, 12-week presentation in itself. Uh, <laughs> Um, but just to know that that think neither good nor evil, it becomes one of the uh, principal teachings in the Zen Buddhism school to see beyond the pairs uh, and uh, It's thought that the Buddha's teachings on the middle way being and non-being It's it's thought that that's what the Buddha was pointing at to, to find the middle path Between all of these pairs. You can see false and true. Well, there's a gray area ignorant and learned well, there's a gray area Foolish and wise, where there's a gray area, and to live in the gray area, not to fall into the extremes like that. Uh, yeah. So that's the story of Hui Neng and the underdog. So he leaves um, 108 fully enlightened successors. Uh, so he did away, intentionally did away with the uh, one teacher, one student, one teacher, one student pattern. Uh, he said, you know, huh, that's not going to work will get killed. And as, you know, as Zen tries to evolve and to grow, uh, they were uh, threatened by the Taoist schools to be extinguished. And so, as a way of making sure the Zen tradition took root, uh, Hui Ning lifted that rule and and taught many, many students and left 108 fully capable teachers uh, to allow Zen to flourish. So it's really, a great credit to Hui Ning that we actually are even sitting here talking about Zen at all. Uh, So that's why he's considered one of the highest uh, founding fathers of Zen Buddhism like that.